Welcome to Crosstalk, following Jesus together. I'm your host, Dave Sherrill, and I have my co-host here, Pastor Kevin. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the scriptures in the Christian life. We're going to look at a couple aspects of it, uh, particularly our affection for the scriptures, and also some tips and pointers on um, finding a good Bible to read and to study from. So let's spend a few minutes uh, considering why we love the scriptures. Pastor, would you have any any insights that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. Um, probably the most direct first thing I would say is, um, of all the wonderful books in the world, and there are a lot, and um, I should say that we are recording this live in Dave's book library, which is pretty much the entire second floor of his house, and it is filled with amazing books. However, um, and I know, Dave, you would agree with this, but as wonderful as any of those books are, or the books that I love at home, or in the office, or or libraries, or whatever else, um, none of them compare to the scriptures, because none of them have been inspired, and preserved, and therefore used by our sovereign God to give life to his church and to his people for centuries. Uh, It's phenomenal to me that we can open up a Bible and it's not just another self-help book. It's not a strategy book. It's not a, you know, any of these other things that would be bestsellers at Barnes and Noble, but instead this is God's wisdom and his truth preserved for us. And um, by his amazing grace, uh, at least here in the U.S., if you can read English or, frankly, you know, hundreds of other languages that are available here from Amazon or whatever else, you can read his word. Absolutely. Uh, One thing that I find uh, that stirs my affections for the scriptures, uh, and this this isn't a quick answer, the more years I spend looking at the scriptures, reading them, meditating on them, the more depth they gain. And it isn't that scriptures are changing, but I think it is God at work helping me see more of the connections, more of the reality, uh, more of the instruction and the help. I see his grace evident everywhere. Uh, I see not just in the accounts of how he interacts with his people, I see his grace evidenced, and yet I come back and I read it again, and I read it again, and I come back a few years later and I read it again, and then it takes on even more breadth and depth, more grace, more glory. Uh, it, it is a living book. It is unlike all the others that I have. All the others that I have, I could memorize every single word in them, but they, they won't really read differently or better uh, over long periods of time, and yet the scriptures do have this um, God-breathed life in them. Yeah, and that's, I think you've hit on something that is absolutely unique to the scriptures, is that they are unchanging, and yet we are being changed. And so we when we keep encountering the scriptures throughout time, you know, maybe uh, one of my favorite books is Jonah. 
I've always loved it, even since I was a little child and then in seminary. And um, here, I think I've, I've preached it at least two times, maybe three times, maybe even some Sunday school lessons. But every time I come back to this very short story, I mean, it, you can literally read it out loud in about 15, maybe 20 minutes. I notice something different. And it's not because it wasn't there before, but it's because of how the Lord is changing me. And I hear the same thing from so many other people of, oh, I never noticed that before. Or, or maybe even I, I did notice that, but I didn't realize how, how deeply that applies or how utterly relevant it is to life. You know, because I think that's, if I was going to kind of plug one other thing very quick here for the scriptures, it would be, um, you know, any bestseller today, whatever's popular, whatever's on the New York Times list, um, generally, other than a very few, um, it's not going to be a bestseller this time next year. Um, And even the ones that are, certainly within five years, they're going to fall off that list. They're going to be at half-price books for, you know, two bucks kind of thing. They don't have staying power. The scriptures do. They never lose their relevance, um, which is, I, I think, something that we Christians really ought to celebrate. Um, too often we downplay it. We, we almost come away with this idea of, well, how do we make the Bible relevant? No. Um, the good news is we don't have to, and that's actually the, you know, you've kind of got the stick the wrong way around. It's the Bible is relevant, And so if we're reading and thinking and wrestling with it and we think, well, what does this have to do with anything? It means we haven't wrestled and thought and prayed enough. Um, It really is the other way around. And that is why God's word changes us rather than we changing it. So in today's world, when I look for a Bible to read, I have a lot of choices in English. Mm Mm-hmm. You've had some schooling in the original languages, and you read it in English. So do you have any thoughts you'd want to share about the need for understanding the original languages and or whether that impacts how you understand what's rendered in English? Sure. Um, Let me think of how to condense this, because... I realize as soon as we bring that up, and actually I, maybe I ought to just state, maybe this is new news to someone, uh, the Bible was not inspired in English. Um, I realize that most of you listening probably know that, but maybe someone doesn't. Um, and um, It was inspired in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, which is Um, kind of a trade language related to Hebrew, very similar, and then what's called Koine Greek, that's common Greek. So it's not the classical Greek of of Aristotle, it's not modern Greek, it's kind of right smack dab in the middle there. And on the the positive side, um, without getting too too language nerd here, I would say um, we need to understand the original languages. Um, I don't mean that every Christian has to, but I would say if you have an opportunity, you will benefit from that. Um, 
If you don't, hey, don't worry. You know, I'm, I'm not saying you're, you're somehow lacking, um, but I'm simply saying that if you know anything about languages, um, there's no such thing as a perfect translation. There's, there's no such thing as um, it means A, B, C in Greek, and oh, if we just open up a dictionary and copy down the right words, then it'll mean A, B, C in English, and it'll be the exact same. Um, that's not how languages work. They're not codes to be deciphered. Um, so any translation necessarily loses something. Uh, here's where I would say this is much more helpful for, for us and for those of you listening. Um, the good news is God has made languages and communication in such a way that, yes, anytime you translate, you're losing something. At the same time, though, um, what I think is absolutely amazing is that we can still understand and trust and think the right thoughts um, with our English translations as we would get if you could read Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. Um, so it's not that there's no nuances that are lost. Um, I, I really do believe there's a gain from knowing the original languages. But in saying that, I also want to point out that we have very good translations. Um, translations where you have men and women who have given literally their life's work to understanding not just the original languages, but also, in our case, English, and then figuring out best, okay, how do I produce this thought, this understanding from the, from the Greek, let's say? How do I produce that in English? How do I get closest to it? And um, not just in my opinion, but to be frank, in a lot of people's opinion who are much smarter than me, um, that's done remarkably well, uh, especially with the major well-known English translations. You know, I would add that this is also one reason uh, that we have a need for new translations with each generation. Uh, I, I know that frustrates some folks. You know, they want to know why can't we just pick one and stick with it forever, um, whether that's the, the NIV, uh, 1984 NIV is what I grew up with. Um, or whether it's the 1611 King James. Um, the issue, though, is that language changes. Um, so, for example, there is a lot of vocabulary in the King James that it's not just that we don't use the words anymore in English, but some of them actually mean something very different in modern English. And so unless we're going to go tell everyone they need to study a, a you know kind of a Shakespearean dictionary, um, it's actually more helpful to keep translating, you know, again, the unchanging Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, but translating them into our languages, which are slowly changing. And that's true not just for English, but for, for every currently spoken language. And so um, with that, I would just say, um, yes, you want to be consistent on a translation, um, I'm not trying to downplay reading from multiple translations, for example. I know that's a common piece of advice. I've heard it. You've probably heard it. I think there's some helpfulness in that. But we should also be careful that we're not just kind of reading so many different things that we can never actually really sink our teeth into it. 
Um, so maybe, um, you know, if you're reading an ESV, an English Standard Version, which is what our church currently uses, that's great. Um, realize that, you know, and I'm no prophet, but probably in the next one, two, certainly three decades, there might be a translation that communicates better to our current culture. So we don't idolize translations, but we do thank God that they are tools. So when we do make it into the bookstore to find a Bible that we should read, we know we should be reading it, um, there's a lot of choices. Yes, there are. There's a lot of marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of sales pitches. Um, it can be overwhelming yeah. uh, to try to make that choice. So can we can we distill down some some basic uh, steps to yeah. take in selecting a Bible? That's a good question because I think that's that's helpful. That's what we need. Um, I've often heard it said that we English-speaking Christians are blessed with this abundance of Bibles. That's true. I would also say there's almost a little bit of a, not a curse, that wouldn't be the right word, but there's something of a challenge to having, you know, hey, you, you wake up one day and, you know, three new translations have popped up somewhere and now you have to decide amongst them. Um, here's what I would tell people. Uh, the, the first thing is you need to choose a reputable translation. Uh, that is to say, and I, and I honestly don't have any particular one in mind here, uh, but if, in general, if it's a translation that has been produced by one person, um, and, and I don't, by the way, mean like a, a missionary translating something into a language that has no Bible, I'm talking here in English, uh, if it's just kind of one person's, hey, I've translated this and I've put it out on the internet and you can get it from Amazon self-publishing, um, you know, it might be great. But I would say um, for most of us, we don't have really the time to be wading through dozens of who knows what translations. I would say stick with the major ones that are reputable. They've been translated by committees. They're not just aimed at any specific denomination. Um, that doesn't mean anything goes, but I would say, uh, obviously, the English Standard Version, which I already mentioned, uh, the NIV, New International Version, uh, the New American Standard Bible, uh, which I do realize just came out with a new kind of updated edition. Um, the samples I've seen are just fine. Uh, the New King James, uh, for those of you that that wants something. It's, it's not the archaic language of the King James, but it preserves some of the more distinctive parts. Um, New Living Translation, that sort of thing. Um, though I think that has a few quirks. Just be careful there. Um, or obviously the King James. I mean, if you grew up reading it, you do understand what it means, then great. Don't feel ashamed. Keep reading that. Um, mainly, my point would be twofold. You need to pick a translation that you can understand. Uh, if you can't understand it, I don't care how precisely technical the English grammar is and how many wonderful scholars did it. If you don't understand it, then, you, well, one, you're not going to read it. And two, if you do read it, you're not really going to grasp what it means. 
And then on the flip side, I would also say um, you need to be able to help others understand the scriptures. And so um, this would be a kind of a particular danger if you choose something where the wording isn't pretty close to modern English. Um, you're going to have to do a lot of, I guess I could almost call it translating, um, to whoever you're speaking with, because they're not going to understand it even if you do. And as part of our mission to make disciples, that does need to be in the back of our minds. It's not just a consumeristic kind of, you know, what do I want best? Um, It's what has God said? How can I believe and communicate that? So that'd be my first point. Pick a reputable translation. Um, I would recommend against a paraphrase in general. And what a paraphrase is, is it's where uh, either someone or a group has taken a Bible, usually an English translation, and then tried to um, tried to modify it, either to make it even easier to read, or um, or some of them uh, have very interesting stories behind them um, for why they are the way they are. Probably the most popular paraphrase would be the message, um, which isn't. Uh, I'm not trying to criticize Eugene Peterson, but I would say that's. It's a very different thing to read that than to read a translation. Um, the message has some of its own quirks and things, um, which would be true of any paraphrase. So kind of a, hey, if you like it, keep it around. I mean, certainly, if you're not going to read anything else, then of course, pick it up, read it. Um, but I would recommend sticking more with a NIV, NASB, English Standard, New King James, that sort of thing. Uh, secondly, uh, what I would point out, and I think this might be maybe the contribution I could make to this discussion, because I rarely hear this spoken about. You need to pick a Bible that you can read. And I don't mean English grammar now. That was the previous point. I mean, font size, um, far too many Bibles, just as I go look through them, whether online or in a bookstore, Far too many have tiny little font, words and paragraphs that are all crammed together. I mean, they're, they're almost illegible. Um, so the, the absolute cheapest $5 Bible probably is not going to be a pleasure to read. Uh, what, I mean, maybe folks don't know this. I read out of a large print Bible, always. Um, that's the Bible I use at home. That's the Bible I use from the pulpit. Um, and I'm actually nearsighted, so it's not that I can't, you know, read small print. It's just I, I lose my place. I find it frustrating. It's hard. Um, I suspect many of those listening maybe even don't realize how much more pleasant it would be to read out of a larger print Bible. Um, so, yeah, find something up there that's size 10 font or 11 or 12 even, um, the Bible that I have been using for some time now is called a wide margin Bible. Um, it's kind of odd that I've landed on that because that's for people who write in the Bible. I, I don't. I just, I never have. I, I don't know why. Um, the difference, though, is that everything's kind of spaced out a little more on the page. It's just easier to read. It's a little bit more like a nice hardcover book that you get at a bookstore where you open it up. And you see the the words on the page, and you can actually just, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. I can read this. As opposed to, 
some Bibles, you open it up, it's this wall of, you know, little tiny size six text. And you think, I can hardly see it. And then you realize how long it's going to take you to even read one page. And it's almost, you know, it's almost frustrating at that point. So get a, a big enough font Bible. Um, buy a large print one. That, that'd be my plug right there. Buy a large print Bible. And with that, um, one other point I would give, and this might be the smallest of the points I'd make on this aspect. Uh, you know, we are embodied people. You know, we're not just kind of brains and spirits floating around or something or other. Um, we have bodies. We have tangible. There's, there's, there's substance to us. Um, get a Bible that you like to read. So if that means you need to get the leather-covered one or whatever, uh, you know, great. Get that. Don't feel bad about it. I, I'm not saying you got to go to the, they call it the premium Bible market and spend hundreds upon hundreds. I, I mean, if you want to, so be it. Um, but I am saying you want the Bible to be something where you, you see it and you just enjoy that time of reading and studying. So do what you need to do there. Um, let me change topics just slightly here, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about study Bibles. Because to this point, when I'm talking about, oh, get a Bible you can read, and I, I need to clarify this for all of our listeners, I don't mean a study Bible. I mean just the text of the scriptures. Uh, For many years at church, I actually used a large print pew Bible to study and preach out of. And it's because I didn't want all the distractions that come with a study Bible. Uh, I've I've mentioned a number of times, if anyone knows me, they they know that I'm cautious about study Bibles. Um, I'll only give one word because I want to move on to the benefit of them. And it would just be this. If you get a study Bible, you need to make sure you are spending more time studying the inspired scripture on the page than you are the uninspired notes and commentary on the page. You want to wrestle with the scriptures before you just go to someone else and say, well, give me the answer. You know, they can just tell me what it means. Well, no, not exactly. Um, You want to wrestle with this. So that's my caution, but here's my plug. Um, I do use two study Bibles in particular that I find very helpful. Um, Neither of them are my main reading Bibles, but uh, I have them each for a specific purpose. Uh, One of them is just the ESV study Bible. So the English Standard Version study Bible. That's probably the most, uh, it's either that or maybe the NIV study Bible are probably the most popular best-selling study Bibles out there right now. Um, I also own an NIV. They're, they're good. Either of those is solid. Um, as with anything, the notes are not inspired, but I do find them helpful. Um, it is, it is nice to, Hey, wait, what's going on there? And then you think for a while and you read and you still don't get it. Great. You go to the notes. Oh, yeah, I missed that completely. That was, right, that's when a study Bible is a real benefit. There's another one, though. This one isn't nearly as well known. I wish it were. Uh, it's the ESV Archaeological Study Bible. And I know uh, it might be out of print, but there was such a thing as an NIV Archaeology Study Bible at one point also. And here's why this is important. Um, most people I know, including myself, have not been to the world of the scriptures. 
whether that's to Israel, whether that's to, to kind of Greece and the Roman Empire. And yet the scriptures are filled with all kinds of references to things we have no firsthand knowledge of, whether it's geography, whether it is the, um, you know, even just how, what does a house look like back then? What's the, what did the temple look like when it was first constructed? What did, what did Herod's temple, you know, what did any of this look like? Uh, What was daily life like back then? Um, An archaeology study Bible really zeroes in on just those issues. So it doesn't give you all the random, well, this random person online said this random theological topic. It's, it's not that kind of a study Bible. Instead, it's just giving you background for reading the scriptures. And that, I think, is incredibly helpful there. Uh, moving on from study Bibles, the last main point that, that I would give, um, and I know I'm, people joke that I'm kind of a curmudgeon, um, not trying to be. Uh, actually, I, I like technology. I grew up with it. We'll save that for another podcast. I'm not as curmudgeonly as everyone thinks, but um, last point would be to read a paper Bible. And I know that is going against the flow for a lot of what is being pushed these days. But uh, if you would spend even five minutes on Google, so you can get on digitally and do this, um, and search for the benefits of reading on paper versus reading an e-device, uh, you will find that there is a massive amount of evidence that reading on paper is uh, associated with much better comprehension and retention than reading on a screen. Uh, something like a uh, an actual Kindle, I don't mean the Kindle Fire that's basically a tablet, but the Kindle Reader, Um, Even then, I've seen several, at least preliminary studies, saying that's that's better than reading on a tablet or a computer, but it's still not the same as paper. Um, You know, the benefit of paper, hey, if you want to write or highlight, you can. You don't have to try and manipulate a cursor on the screen and have it save and sync your highlights. You don't have to do any of that. Uh, You don't need electricity. You know, hey, if the power's out, go outside. You know, the sun will light you up fair. You know, it's just fine. Um, I would highly recommend that. Doesn't mean there's no place for a, a, a digital Bible. Uh, I do use some software every single week for my sermon prep. Um, but I always do my initial study, even then, in a paper Bible. Sometimes I'll even take my digital Bible and print out the pages so that I can write on them and mark them up and that sort of thing. Um, here would be just the piece of advice then. If, if you're one who only reads your Bible on a, on a phone or a tablet or what have you, grab a Bible and, hey, if you go to our church, we have ones available. Um, if you don't, check with your local church or certainly you can find a decent, I mean, I think the Crossway large print paperback Bibles are five bucks. Um, so you can even get a nice large print there. Grab one. Give it a try for a month. See what you remember. See how much you read. And look at um, kind of your desire to read. I suspect you're going to find it's more helpful than you might think. So that would be my tips there for getting into the Word. I appreciate the the breadth and the depth of, of our 
your comments here. They're very helpful. Um, the practicality that you've spoken of uh, really is directly related to why we love the scriptures. If we want to grow in our love for the word, we need to be in the word. We don't need to raise barriers or make it harder to be in the word. We want an easily accessible uh, at hand Bible uh, that doesn't need to be recharged. Those kind of, I mean, just practical issues like that, big enough font to read. Um, I think those will all help us to make uh, real progress in loving and being in the scriptures. Our book recommendation for this episode uh, is going to be David Helm's little paperback entitled One to One Bible Reading. Surprise, since we talk about reading the Bible, what do we recommend? A resource on Bible reading. This is uncomplicated, it is very straightforward, it is extremely practical. Uh, it's not uh, an egghead collection of things that go over your, your understanding. It is a simple program, a simple description of how to get together with someone else and read the Bible and learn together from what you're reading. Uh, the, the actual body of the text is less than 75 pages. There's a few more pages that give you some uh, uh, analytical questions, questions to ask about the text that, that you're reading. But again, it's at a very, it's at a, it's written for laymen. It's written for practice within the everyday church, men and women, young and old. Uh, it is uh, an approach that I've used myself in my discipleship efforts, and we strongly recommend. This is a, a resource that we've come back to time and time and time again over the years. And it's one of those books that really holds a special place because of its simplicity and the way that it makes uh, the scriptures interwoven into your daily life with you and with those around you. Yeah, let me add my plug to it. Um, David Helm is the founder of the Charles Simeon Trust, which uh, maybe some of you listening are aware of that, or certainly in our church where we've done uh, some of those uh, lessons where staying on the line and context, and um, those are all originating um, with him. And then to have him write just a little short book that's not technical, like Dave said, it's not hard to understand, but it's just how do you open the Bible and learn and apply and enjoy God's Word? Um, it's a gym. It's valuable. You you want this book. I'm not getting paid to say that. You you want this book, though. And it is very affordable as well. It is not expensive. It's a tiny little paperback, easy to read, and it's actually easy to engage his his examples that he gives of getting together with other people and reading through the Bible. Very helpful. And yes, it's a good program. Have I offered to read the Bible with some of my friends and they refused? Yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, all in God's good time. Uh, we throw the seed wherever we can, and the Lord will give us the increase as he sees fit. So I appreciate your thoughts uh, today, Pastor. It's been really a helpful discussion. Uh, we want to leave with an ending quotation. Uh, this is drawn from the late Jerry Bridges and his classic work, The Pursuit of Holiness. And this is a very, this is just one sentence, but it 
talks about reading scripture and some other things that we engage with as Christians. So it would be good for us to consider what Jerry says. And here is the quote. It is hypocritical to pray for victory over our sins, yet be careless in our intake of the word of God. With that, we appreciate you listening. This has been Crosstalk, following Jesus together. We'll see you soon. God bless.